what I illusions. We are back to recapping shows. We got our start. If you've been with us since the beginning, we got our start on recapping Game of Thrones season eight. And people uh, liked that so much that we decided we would do a different show. And it's uh, it, it, this one doesn't have anything to do with thrones. It doesn't have anything to do with dragons. It doesn't air on HBO, and it's not really objectively for adults, but we are recapping, going all the way back to the 80s, to a show that meant a lot to me as a child, and one that I have not grown tired of, even though I've seen it probably uh, over a hundred times, and still get a lot of, uh, still get a big kick out of it. We are recapping Thomas the Tank Engine, which... Uh, could be potentially a, uh, odd choice, but, uh, we really decided this was one that we could have a lot of fun with. So we have, uh, Tara here to recap all the Thomas magic. Tara, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, hello, my name is Tara. I'm currently studying for the California Bar. Um, so I've just graduated from law school and hopefully by the fall I'll be an attorney. Uh, I enjoy Thomas the Tank Engine, although I didn't grow up watching the show. Uh, the only Thomas media that I really saw growing up was the Alec Baldwin movie, which scared me. But I always loved playing with the train sets inside Barnes & Noble and with my friends and family whenever they had toy train sets. So I always liked it, but I didn't really know about these shows till Ian introduced me to them. And we need to have... I had... Probably hundreds of the wooden trains. And they're not cheap, so kudos to my mother for picking those up. I have, uh, actually I grew up with the book series as well, which was a lot of fun. And both of those, both my train set and my books are still in Connecticut. We are hoping to have them shipped out. I'm very grateful to have a partner like Tara who doesn't hear those things and say, oh my god, uh, run to the hills. Gordon's Hill, maybe. Uh, but... We'll get to that in a little bit. The way that we decided to do this was uh, we're going to recap these. We're going to do these recaps based on the VHS releases. So all of those, they have, generally speaking, about seven episodes of tape. We're going to go, we're going to cover them in order. We're definitely going to do all of the Ringo Starr and the George Carlin era. Uh, I think we'll probably do some of the Alec Baldwin. I don't know how far we'll get into that. If you've been a fan of mine for a long time, you'll know that Thomas Tuesday was a long-running feature on my Tumblr and my Facebook page for years until we... It basically followed the same tra trajectory, except for the fact that I didn't do them in order. Uh, a lot of the Thomas Tuesday can be found still on my Tumblr page, but a lot of the accompanying YouTube videos that I had posted along with them have... Uh, the links are a bit dead. It needs a little bit of cleaning up. Uh, and all of these, uh, all of these episodes can be found pretty much on streaming. You can find them on YouTube, the individual episodes. So, um, we'll include the, uh, episode, the specific, uh, little episodes that we're covering in this, but we're going to start with, uh, Thomas Gets Tricked, the VHS release. We're going to follow the American releases for, uh, so... Ringo Starr would have done uh, both the UK and the US in the beginning. Uh, George Carlin was only the US. We 
don't need to talk about that too much, but um, that's uh, that's how we're going to do this. And uh, if you followed Thomas when you were little or this is your first time entering the Chug life, we're very happy to have you. And uh, let's start with the... Uh, well, let's get started. And uh, before we get to the episode, I just wanted to note a little fun uh, uh, tidbit about the theme song, which covers a lot of the uh, sets that we don't tend to see featured all that much in the episodes, but the thing that always stood out to me as a kid was the fact that the very early episodes, the early tapes, would have the Thomas the Tank Engine and Friends in big, fat pink letters, and as it went on, the letters would get redder and thinner for whatever reason. Maybe the show was growing up or people watching were growing up, but I don't know, that was always an observation that I always found fascinating for whatever reason. Continuity has always been something that I've always been a big fan of. And uh, to get into the first episode, which is called Thomas Gets Tricked in the U.S. In uh, the U.K., it was referred to as Thomas and Gordon, which makes some sense from the perspective of... uh, That was really the friendship... Well... Friendship, rivalry, relationship. I mean, Thomas and Gordon aren't really close friends in the beginning of this series, but that was the launching point that the show uh, really wanted to take off with. Obviously, all of these are based off the books. But um, to start, Ringo gives us a description. And uh, Thomas is frequently described as short and stumpy. He's got a cab. He's got six wheels. He's the only tank engine that we start off with. He's the only engine we'd start off with that doesn't have a tender. I guess right off the bat, we have the notion of uh, free will, which has always been a big fascination of mine as it relates to Thomas, because we're not, it's never really all that clear whether, uh, it's never really all that clear how much control these engines have. Obviously, they have drivers and firemen, uh, and yet they get blamed for a lot of stuff, but if they can't move on their own, who's, who's, whose fault is it, really? Who do, what do you think about that, Tara? I think it's really unfair how much blame gets placed on all the individual engines. Um, like, as we'll see in some of the latter episodes in this tape, um, like, the engines are still with their drivers and the engine men doing things, and yet it's only the engine that gets in trouble, you see engines um, like being forced into confinement for anything that they do or engines who are tired after a long day being forced to do something more. And it's not fair like how much almost in the entirety of the blame is placed on the engines when there are so many other factors at play. And I, I don't really know, like, is the engine just like a computer or is it like a horse where it's like, yeah, you're going to have the driver on the horse, but like the horse itself as a physical being will have some responsibility for what happens. But the train is still a machine and there are people running that machine. So it's not clear how much control does the engine have? Can the engine choose to go backwards if the driver tells it to go forward? I want to know. Yeah, that's certainly not made perfectly clear. What I liked about this episode also, it's it's, that Knapford Station is the uh, kind of the central station, at least for most of the Star Carlin era. It's a great station. 
it's not really one thing that I kind of thought about a lot with this the these collection of stories as a whole is how long this railroad has been there. Edward is described as very old, and yet they're understaffed from a train perspective. Not not even just when you consider how many engines arrive later on, but just the fact that there's really not a ton of engines available for various things. Thomas is the only one, really the designated shunter, although we have the, the recurring issue of uh, how much the engines hate to shunt trucks. Thomas, there's no branch lines yet. And yet the the really the, the era that, that covers all of these stories, there is a period of rapid growth later. Edward gets a branch line. Duck gets a branch line. Branch lines are being handed out kind of like uh, when Oprah Winfrey was handing out cars. And yet for how, however long this has been around, this railway... On the island of Sodor, uh, they seem to have made do with really. I, I, so there's there's five engines that factor into these uh, that factor into this uh, first collection, and yet it's really James is James is featured. He doesn't factor in. He's not even named until the end. It's really a uh, show of Thomas, Gordon, Henry, and Edward. And what I like about the first episode, Thomas gets tricked, is. Um, we see a lot of the classic Thomas the Tank Engine shade that the engines throw at each other. And we see that manifest in this episode through Thomas doesn't get uncoupled from the train. He has to go along for a ride, and as a tank engine, he's not really shown to... Well, the whole question of stamina is another another interesting topic that's hanging out there, but... What did what did you think about the idea that it was that it was a prank to not uncouple this engine and with a with a railway with a railway of five engines to have this one who's who's really the the single designated fetcher of coaches and car, freight cars um, instead of letting him do that seemingly important job they're going to drag him across the entire line as a kind of practical joke. Yeah, I thought it was really unfair to do that. Um... Like, not just the fact that, like, Thomas is being dragged along against his will, and he's clearly very tired and worn out by the end of the journey, but, like, it's during the workday, and he has things to do, and someone, for whatever reason, just is like, nope, you're gonna go over there, and that leaves everyone else, like, you don't really see them trying to figure out what's going on, why isn't Thomas here, um, but, yeah, rationally, there's no one else there to do his job right now. And Gordon, we we kind of understand why Gordon can get away with sleeping on the siding for, we see twice in this episode, Thomas waking up Gordon from his nap, which is rude, but Gordon, aside from that massive uh, freight train that he has to pull a couple episodes later, Gordon's primary job is the express, and he's shown to really be the, the only engine that can pull it, but Thomas wakes him up. That's kind of funny. Okay, Gordon wants to get him back. Is it fair to Thomas's driver and fireman to, to bring them along? They don't object. It's not particularly safe that the train is starting rather abruptly. What were they in on the were they in on the joke? Was it collusion? Uh, we don't really know. And and Gordon wants to get the people to get in quickly so he can play his joke. Are these are these Gordon's driver and fireman? executing the prank on Gordon's command. 
obviously they're probably not that upset that unless they were napping inside Gordon when Thomas woke them up, there's kind of a... The, the execution of the payback to Thomas seems to uh, require people who maybe weren't as affected by his prank in the first place. So there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, there's always the, there's always the notion that uh, we're overthinking a children's show, but the driver and fireman are not meant to be, I Tara mentioned uh, Thomas and the Magic Railroad, which... As a, as a bizarre Malone Easter egg, my little sister was also a huge Thomas the Tank Engine fan for years and years, affectionately referred to Thomas and the Magic Railroad for whatever reason as Thomas Square. We never really figured out why, other than potentially the fact that the VHS tape would have been in one of those, if you're really old and remember how the Disney VHSs tended to be a bigger cases, a bit more of a plastic than a hard shell or the cardboard that the Thomas the Tank Engine ones would come in. The engines in Thomas Square, Thomas and the Magic Railroad, uh, could drive themselves. These can't, nor are they ever really shown to drive themselves. They need their drivers and firemen. And yet, we, we don't really know how they factored into this prank. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And yet, Thomas is maybe supposed to learn a lesson. Don't don't screw with Gordon, but it seems like a it seems like a pretty big overreaction on Gordon's part. It's it's not very nice of him. Uh, he he has to go to Edward Station later on, and which is uh, Wellsworth Station, and uh, there they show that turntable, which is only available, which is only accessible for tank engines. I think that's the single appearance of that turntable which is kind of a bummer that it didn't appear in Tenders and Turntables, which is my favorite of the VHSs. But um, it was interesting to see that. Also noteworthy that Edward Station has a turntable that Edward himself does not seem able to, uh, to ride on. Maybe they tore it up to uh, accommodate him under his regime. But we don't really get a, a, a big idea of, of why this prank was executed... Uh, it seems to have taken all of the day as, as it's getting uh, dark as Thomas is going home. We don't really know who took over for his job. If, as a result of the prank, if the passengers complained and said what a bad railway it was. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of unanswered questions here that it would, uh, it would be nice if we could get to the bottom of some of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, they, like Gordon, Edward, which one is doing the prank? Gordon, right? Yes, Gordon was the one conducting the prank, and he really messed up everyone's day by doing it. And does he get in trouble? I don't think he does. I mean, Thomas Thomas is a is a series of... They're not always trying to, to shove morals down your throat in every episode, and the engines are pretty savage to each other. They're, they're not very friendly. Um, only occasionally are they actually nice to each other, but I, I don't what the takeaway is from this episode don't don't pull pranks on big guys or they'll drag you across the entire line don't i mean what are we supposed to learn from that i don't really know what i do know is uh these 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 engines do seem to spend an inordinate amount of time fooling around as apparent here thomas's day was ruined 
Um, it also begs the question of how big the, the railway is that it takes him all, seemingly all day for that single passage. How many, tra- how, how many, how many different trains uh, go each, each day? We don't really know. There's a lot of... Thomas gets tricked is really the audience gets tricked because it's five minutes, the credits start to roll, and you're sitting there going, well, what just happened? What are we supposed to make of this? I, I don't really know. That's my reaction in every episode. I'm just dismayed that it cuts so abruptly without any kind of lesson learned that people just get away with all of their tricks. Yeah, and if the if if Thomas's driver and fireman weren't also victims of the prank, how did Thomas get home? How did they allow this to happen? Were they angry? Were they angry with Gordon's driver and fireman afterward? Was Sir Topham had angry? We we don't know any of these these questions. It's um it's all very it makes you feel very uncomfortable by the end of it. Although I, I did like the backdrop of the the sort of the, the evening glare, the red uh sunlight. The sets the sets are beautiful. I think that's probably why we uh keep returning to Thomas so often, even though I'm uh pushing twenty eight, is those sets are just beautiful. I mean well this this show will never cover the CGI. I won't watch the CGI. But uh the sets are absolutely gorgeous and to see Thomas Sad as he was, chugging along the viaduct. Uh, it was a beautiful scenery, so I really liked that. It's um, it's it's definitely it's a, it's an interesting way to start. It's definitely has the feel of an introductory episode from, um, describing what Thomas looks like to setting the tone for this uh, savage display of uh, rivalry between the engines, and then to open up broader uh, philosophical questions that don't lend themselves to an easy moral solution. This episode really does have it all. I liked how much it was an introduction to, like, Thomas himself being a little baby. And, like, it really shows, like, this is the start of the adventure. It's like book one of the Harry Potter series. This is the Sorcerer's Stone. We've got little baby here. And you know that Thomas is going to grow. He's going to get his own branch line. He's going to be a very important character because his name is in the series. So it was a really nice introduction to him. It was. I I like this one. And um, it... I mean, this, this whole series, uh, this whole uh, tape really does uh, have Thomas off on kind of an island. He doesn't have... Annie and Clarabelle, his closest friend is really Edward, and I mean they don't the two don't really have that much of a relationship throughout the series, but he doesn't have Toby, he doesn't have Percy, even though they both appear in the credits uh in between each uh each episode when they play the thing where they show the engines and that same little boy in the red clothing looking at pretty much all of them. But uh it's interesting. It's a good uh it's a good debut episode. It's something that says, you know, if you like this episode, you'll like the rest of the series. There's not a big change in tone from the pilot through uh, through the rest of them. And that's probably a good note to move on. Next up is Edward Helps Out. And this episode also really hits home on one uh, element of the series that's Constantly, they they constantly return to the notion that Edward is smaller than the bigger engines. Uh, a lot of times throughout the series, uh, he certainly has different interests as an engine. He's he certainly has different interests as an engine. He's the one tender engine of the the original four to not hate 
shunting or freight cars, but just on the surface level, he's not really smaller than James. He has one fewer of the big wheels on his uh, um, coupling or sidebar, one of those things. Uh, he's got only two of the big wheels versus James's three, so he's probably a little less powerful than the later episode Old Iron kind of disproves that, but or challenges that notion. But Edward Edward will always have a, a place in my heart. He was my uh, grandmother's favorite engine. She loved how... Uh, I think she loved the fact that he was the, the sort of the old guard of the series. He was also a kind, kind engine. And we certainly get that idea in this episode, which even though it's called Edward Helps Out, this is one of the more iconic episodes for Gordon, who... Uh, this is the first episode where, uh, well, this is the episode where Gordon's Hill is established as a location because Gordon is uh, unable to pull the freight train up the hill. And once again, Free Will returns to uh, the question. They, uh, his, his driver and fireman challenge his effort level that he's putting in. And we do we do kind of see engines having to uh, work hard, but, uh, throughout the series, but, but the, the actual control they have, as well as the freight cars, they're holding back. We know they can't move themselves, but they can bump, they can, uh, hold, they, they can cause problems. They don't really ever cause solutions, but, um, Gordon, this is also the first episode where Gordon, uh, as one of the tender engines really is complaining about a dirty freight train. And what I like about these early episodes is uh, later episodes with the freight cars or the trucks, as they're called in the UK. I gather, you know, there's a lot of, in the Thomas subculture online, a lot of it stems from UK fans, and there's the constant... Uh, I actually experienced this in Australia with fan, friends of Thomas the Tank Engine who... Uh, would always say, no, they're not freight cars, they're called trucks, but we're going to call them freight cars for the sake of the United States. These freight cars have, they don't have faces in the same way as the engines of the later freight cars, they just have eyes on the actual uh, car, which is weird, that's another sort of uh, broader debate about how alive these things are, but they're certainly causing problems for Gordon just trying to get up the hill. We see that also that Gordon isn't just a dick to Thomas. He's a dick to Edward and seemingly everybody also. But um, Edward has to help him up the train, uh, help him up the hill, even though they're not coupled together. I always kind of wondered, especially from the Donald Douglas' The Spiteful Break Van episode where um, I think it's Donald uh, literally just smashes the guy. Uh, Edward doesn't. He actually does a pretty efficient job getting him up the hill. Although, I what did you make of the fact that um, he seems to be very upset that he doesn't get any any help for he doesn't get any credit for what he's what he's done? Uh, you're referring to Edward. Uh, yes. Well, I think Edward is kind of a happy guy. Would he really care that he's not getting credit? I think he's really happy just helping out. Like, they describe him as actually liking shunting, and he was so excited to help push Gordon up. Um, like, yeah, he, like, they're not really thankful, and Gordon kind of forgets about him. But I think he's a happy guy. 
Uh, he does. This episode does kind of also put Edward on a kind of an island. He's they make a big deal in the beginning about how the driver and the fireman pick him over the other engines because he's sad. Which is is I guess probably the one time in the series that it's unclear whether these these drivers and firemen have. Uh, from the way the rest of the series is framed, it seems that each engine has a specific driver and fireman. This one, it seems like uh, they share a bit more. They're a bit more polyamorous with their uh, choices. And yet, I, I, I guess there's it's, it's a strange contrast because the driver does, by the end of it, have some affection for Edward saying, uh, I'm going to get out my paint. I'll paint you because apparently nobody else does that. Um, yeah, where is their maintenance crew to do upkeep of their trains? Yeah, it's it's it doesn't make a a a ton of sense. What also is um interesting is pulling freight cars is a dirty job. They smell probably coaches would be better. I also like um the old sort of uh green and uh it's kind of like a, a cream color of the smaller, they're the smaller coaches than the ones that are used to pull the express, but you don't see those much uh, past the first couple uh, handful of episodes, so I always like noting those. Um, you also do kind of see some uh, coaches that look like they could be Annie and Clarabelle, the, the uh, set designers have, uh, have them framed in a way you can't see if they have faces or not, which is interesting, which is also... There's other coaches that kind of look like Annie and Clarabelle, but are a distinctly uh, darker shade of orange, and these definitely look like they could have been Annie and Clarabelle. Maybe they got a fresh coat of paint also as a reward. Well, they have faces, and most of the other coaches don't. Given that Annie and Clarabelle don't really uh, come into this uh, collection until the end, we won't factor too much. Uh, we won't talk too much about those, but I, I guess... I, I, Regardless of whether the, the freight cars or the um, coaches are a better job, these engines do like to seem to work. They don't... I mean, Gordon liked his nap in the first episode, but these guys do like to do seem to like to come out and play. And if 50% of the labor, or even probably more than that, is, is freight, wouldn't that... Would, wouldn't you probably not poo-poo that um, as much as you would... Uh, as much as Gordon would... I mean, wouldn't it, wouldn't it, any kind of excuse, given that these guys don't have any autonomy over their body, just the fact they get a chance to move, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be cause enough for celebration that you wouldn't whine about what, what exactly, uh, what kind of work you ended up having to do afterward? It would definitely make sense, but like, as with anyone with any job, you're still going to want to find the thing you don't like to do versus the thing you do like to do. Um, but they, they are a very oddly happy workforce generally. Yeah. And, and, uh, that contrasts with, uh, Gordon's sense of being a defeatist. Gordon rarely throughout the series does, he, he's, he really is, the express is his primary job. He doesn't really pull freight. Henry is more of the bigger tender engine that pulls freight. James pulls freight a lot too. He's a, actually they make the distinction in the James learns lesson that he's a mixed traffic engine. He's designed for both of those. It, the, 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 the freight train doesn't seem that hard. He does seem like kind of a, a bum. And we don't really get a moment where... Ed, uh, 
Knackford becomes Edward Station later on, but it's not it's not really um made clear at any point where it becomes Edward Station. It is kind of uh He's shown to be there as kind of a utility engine to help engines get up the hill or to take over for people if they need him. It's a it's an interesting way that uh, it, it's interesting to see how this unfolds. I uh, I like this episode a lot. The idea that Edward would would be um, upset at a lack of credit it's almost kind of out of character for him. He doesn't have a great relationship with Gordon. He doesn't really have a bad. The engines tease him, but, um... Oh, which is just a weird dynamic, because Edward is kind of uh, singled out as the oldest of the engines, and yet he's kind of bullied by them in a way that would almost make him seem younger. It's, it's a strange, strange dynamic there. Clearly, Gordon got his wish, though, because he doesn't have to pull any more freight trains for the rest of uh, at least this series, so... Kudos to Gordon. Edward got a station out of it, and now he's got a hill... I don't know. Do you think Gordon likes his hill? He does strike me as someone who would be, like, really proud of saying, like, I have this landmark. It is named after me. And in perpetuity, people will know this as mine. Um, I think he would be very happy about that, even if it's a bit about, like, a bad characteristic that he couldn't do it on his own, that he needed help. Uh, He still might be overall happy to have that named after him. Apparently, a lot of these episodes got readapted for um, a CGI uh, origin story for Thomas, but God, I, as be, I, I know that sets for trains are expensive, but just just the notion that oh, they did computer image, computer generated images of trains. Ugh. Who would wanna Who would wanna uh, get rid of these models? You've got perfectly good and perfectly good wooden trains. You don't need CGI. These are metal trains. Well then, they are trains. They are like they are there. Yes, they are. Well, they probably would have had to build more sets. Um, these sets are actually kind of small. If you've seen, uh, well, shouldn't be a surprise that they're smaller than they look. But um, just the amount of uh, space that the engines move on the specific sets with the cameras. If you ever seen pictures of the sets, um, it's really impressive how they made these many stories with this stuff. They really uh, the innovation is great. And um, all of these episodes have a lot of goofs, but um, we tend not to focus on those because uh, I think they really did a good job with compelling storytelling. I uh, Even as a child, I didn't really notice that kind of stuff, and I stood on it. But uh, moving on to one of the most iconic episodes in the whole series, and one that even as a child made me start to question this opinion my dad has always had, that uh, Henry is gay. That does seem pretty likely. Yeah. Henry Henry is really the fashionista of the uh, engines, particularly the big engines. I know he's always been proud of his green paint. I remember in the books, I think at the end of this, of this uh, book, Henry gets painted blue and then returns to green later on. That's a fact that I remember from reading these cute little uh, cute little books uh, that all of these episodes are based off of by the Reverend Audrey. They're beautiful. My mother will have to have to ship all of them out. I really want to uh, 
It makes you miss it. You know, Thomas, honestly, is very timeless, but as it relates to the sad story of Henry, this episode is also a really great introductory episode just, just from the perspective of it sets up another uh, sort of pillar of Thomas. Not only are these engines savage to each other, but you get a lot of, like, extreme overreactions. Um, the only one that really comes close to... I mean, th this episode features Henry being bricked up and, and the rail being torn out, although only on the front side, not the back, apparently. But, which... It seems a lot easier to see Henry from the front than the back, so the idea that they picked that side doesn't make a ton of sense. But just on a scale of, boy, isn't this messed up, uh, this is this is one of the episodes, um, I think the three that I would really uh, single out as particularly messed up would be this one, putting Henry bricked up in a tunnel for, seemingly, the UK, actually, the UK dub has him, uh, he is supposed to stay in there forever, which, which doesn't make any sense given how few the engines are there, but. Yeah, that seems like a waste of, like, an engine. You're, you're throwing money away by locking it up because he had a tantrum. Right. And this episode, I mean, the, the messed upness is uh, revisited later with Smudger, who was a friend of Duke, who got turned into a boiler for just because he was obnoxious. And uh, Bullstrode, the boat, gets turned into a, a place, for a, a beachside children's playground for also similarly just kind of being obnoxious. Henry... This is another. This is another episode where free will makes you kind of wonder, why can't the driver and the fireman force Henry out, or even push him out? Like we see lots of pushing happening in these episodes, and everyone is content to just say you're gonna stay. You're gonna stay here stuck forever until you change your mind. Yeah, I mean, well, this episode is really kind of set up as a two-parter, but. Um, in context, other than just simply watching this tape where they happen sequentially, if you say, oh, Henry is literally never coming out again, that, that could be kind of traumatizing for a child. I mean, would you, would you want to have your life thrown away because you were afraid of, of a little rain? No, he has a very valid reason, and people should have talked through it with him more to help him understand that it's okay to be afraid of rain sometimes. Or maybe they should have gotten him a tarp or an umbrella or something to help him be more comfortable out there. Instead, they were just like treating him like he was broken and defective for this fear. And they made no attempts to fix that defect. Yeah, this episode also um, is really the first time where Sir Topham Hat is uh, shown to be... They, they signify him as a man in charge versus just like... Uh, for instance, on the Forbes Fictional 15, he's noted as a railroad tycoon. He's much later shown to be much more of an overlord than this episode uh, portrays him. And he's certainly in this kind of uh, lazy. His doctor has forbidden him to pull or push. I mean, you can look at him and say, okay, dude, quit being like, uh, quit being such a baby. Uh, but they really only have uh, models of about... 10 or 15 people trying to push or pull this, this massive engine along with his coaches out. It doesn't seem... I, I think if a doctor looked at that and said, okay, you're gonna, that's an easy way to pop a muscle in your back, it's, and it's never going to work. So that's certainly interesting. I mean, I, I can't really blame 
if you told me if you told me I was gonna go to uh, Nordstrom or Saks Fifth Avenue or any of the overpriced stores in Beverly Hills, and you said, "Okay, you're gonna get a fancy new dress. It's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be nice and pink and um, classy, but also." has notes of a Disney princess or something like that. If you said, okay, you're like absolutely beautiful, Ian. And you have to go out in the rain and you don't get an umbrella because engines can't have umbrellas. Although Percy got a scarf layer. I would be pissed. I would say, oh, look, here's a tunnel. I'm going to sit in here and I'm not coming out. You're not, you could try to push me out, but uh, my, my doctor has forbidden me to be pushed. So I don't really blame him. I think he was in the right to want to stay there. His big crime is there. There's clearly a point in this in the episode where it had stopped raining, and is it really Henry's fault or is it everybody else's fault for not conveying to him that hey, the rain's over, you can come out now? Yeah, how did he not know that it was over? Because almost immediately after the rain comes and he goes inside, it does stop, and he just never comes back out. Nope he he does kind of look um. I mean, let's face it, Henry's gay. And they're playing the music, well, yeah, Henry is uh, definitely gay, and maybe Gordon is a little homophobic for uh, teasing him like that. We don't really know. Maybe Gordon, I mean, Gordon seems to tease most people, even James. To to bully, to bully um, Henry for not wanting to come out in the rain, Clearly, most of the passengers stayed in. We see a cameo uh, of the man with the bootlace, who is clearly, well, he appears in a later episode, but, I mean, obviously, they reuse a lot of the same figures. Uh, we also see the boys who threw the stones at another point in this uh, collection. Um, it, I, I don't really blame him. The engines try to push him. Everybody tries to get him to come out. Nobody nobody forces him out, even though drivers and firemen can apparently do that. And we assume it wasn't raining when they ripped up the rails and put all those bricks up, and yet nobody really makes a big deal out of that. It doesn't make any sense. Do you, do you think it was an overreaction to put up a brick wall in a tunnel? Definitely, and also the fact that they're now basically making this entire side of the line ineffective. Right. They have one tunnel to use. There's four tracks, and with Henry hiding in his tunnel, and and, and they, they portray it as a safety issue, but it's not really a safety issue. It's more of a vanity issue. They put him in there. Henry kind of sees what he's done. Um, the great irony is that his paint gets all sooty anyway, but it it, it seems... It's for this to be Sir Topham Hatter, as he's called in England, the Fat Controller's first appearance. For him to have this kind of reaction, for him to handle it, only get ten or fifteen people out to try and help. They do a bad job. Then he puts a brick wall. I mean, maybe the people are right to note what a bad railway it is. It's it's not handled well in the slightest. And at the end, they also... A lot of these engines kind of have their sort of signature music that plays along. Uh, Henry gets some music that's 
portrayed in uh, uh, the Flying Kipper episode and some of the other ones, kind of the sad Henry. I mean, Henry's a long-suffering engine who's... Um, I mean, it's the 80s. It's not an easy time to be gay. So Henry suffers, and um, we get a little bit of optimism for the U.S. version. But if you're, if you're in England, what a, what a traumatizing ending. The notion that Henry may never come out. There's no intention of bringing him out. But um, thankfully, we get another episode immediately after where this is resolved. We have Henry to the rescue. Which helps um, Gordon. Gordon is kind of blamed for a burst safety valve. I, I don't really, not to bring up free will every time, but the autonomy over that kind of seems odd. It's a uh, five-person coach. Uh, it's a five-coach train, too, which is uh, bigger than, I think, pretty much every engine other than Gordon is used to pulling. So... I guess that that point also um, sends home the message that Henry would be needed. Although we we're kind of we're kind of shown that anyway because James hasn't been formally introduced yet. Without Henry, it would be a Thomas, Edward, and Gordon show, and that's not really uh, that doesn't really make any sense, does it? Without who? What? If Henry is going to be under the tunnel, is if Henry's going to be stuck in the tunnel, then you have. Gordon, Thomas, and Edward is really the only trains who are available. Nobody to 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 break up Henry means that that they're going to be severely understaffed, and and that point is apparent when Gordon has his broken safety valve, which seems to be somewhat of a, a common thing to happen. It's it's not really a, too a fluke of an accident, and with a with a five coach train, there there's literally no one who can pull this. So to have. It just goes to show what a stupid idea breaking up Henry in the tunnel was. Yep, definitely. Um, so as it was an issue when Thomas was gone for just the one day, now you've got um, this other train being gone for like maybe a year. Yeah, you've got Henry and it. Gordon burst the valve at literally. I mean, this, this this line is one that it takes Thomas the whole day to get across after he's been pulled by Gordon, and yet Gordon breaks down at the most convenient point possible, not just in range of Henry to be able to come and help, but at a point where Henry can laugh at him about it. And then, I, I guess it's a matter of convenience also, just the fact that uh, somebody attempted... We, we never see... We never really see engines pu pushing trains very often, the only times it ever happens is really with tank engines. Never a tender engine. And yet Edward, they have this great idea that Edward is going to push the five-coach train. Do you think that, that was ever set up as a realistic uh, possibility? Probably not. No, and then, and then this is something I picked up on as we were watching, and I've seen this countless times. Gordon is actually the one that gets Henry out of the tunnel. Because he's sitting there in Sir Top of Matt. It's kind of like the two are chummy is sort of the, the top of the food chain. And Gordon's like, why not give Henry a try? And, 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 which is strange because at this point there's no other engines really. There's no other opportunities. And Henry is sitting right there in the, in the tunnel. So the idea that Gordon, who's kind of a dick, would uh, bring that up, I thought that was fascinating. 
which is also fascinating is they kind of start to tear down the wall, like a Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall moment. And yet they don't finish it, and Henry goes backwards, which again makes you wonder why there was ever a brick wall put up at all. If he can just go out the back, doesn't make any sense. But uh, the train is sitting there. You've got to imagine there are people sitting on the train, and yet Sean Matt's like, go have a run and find a turntable, not just like, here's where you need to go quickly now. Here's, you know, we know we bricked you up, but take your time. It's as if to like try and apologize for the blatant overreaction. I thought it was ridiculous. Well, also, there was never a discussion as far as if Henry really wanted to do this, like he would, he, for all we know, he was content to still stay in the tunnel and then they give him this job to do. And then without any discussion, he just does it. He leaves the comfort of his tunnel. Yeah. And also what's, what's noteworthy about Gordon's change of uh, heart towards Henry is as his safety valve is going to break, he says, I'm going to poop poop at Henry. Like, I'm going to throw more shade at this dude whose life is really as bad as it could possibly get. And this really isn't a children's show. It's a brutal, brutal show. And Thomas isn't even in this episode. Which is, um, it's, 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 it's very savage. I, I don't know what a kid watching is supposed to think about it. If you get, if you get punished and the overreaction, the, the solution is to, um, sort of gradually help out a person who wronged you. I, I don't really know what to make of this from a moral standpoint. What do you think the morals are in this episode? Well, that, that almost gets to the idea of, like, if you're wronged, turn the other cheek. But they don't ever say that clearly. So you really just have someone who was punished severely, although he kind of did have literally an escape if he'd wanted to leave. So it's almost like he had wanted to be in the tunnel, now being forced to do this other job. And he never really got anything out of it. No, and like if there's a board, I mean, there's clearly not a board of directors at the island of Sodor, but it would it it does kind of present the question of uh, was it smart to rip up rail and um, put a brick wall, close off half the line uh, to show this engine who can't run on his own anyway? I mean. There are um, other points where engines get out of work. It's usually by faking sick. It's never by, oh, I just don't, I'm not going to do this. Um, that's not true, actually. Sometimes the engines, uh, there's one point where Duck and Percy are blocking the turntable for the engines to come in. Somebody had to kind of sanction that. But it it's, it's Henry, um, Henry learned a valuable lesson that, um, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a power bottom, you gotta do it within the system versus uh, just trying to go rogue when uh, Sir Topham Hat is there to dictate what you have to do within the limits of uh, what his doctor will and won't permit. And actually, Sir Topham Hat lost his hat to a goat at the end of this episode, so I think Sir Topham Hat really comes out of this looking really bad. But the goat looked nice. The goat did look nice, but Sir Topham Matt just throughout all of this looked incompetent. It's not a good introduction. And um, I don't know why they would fear him. He he seems to not have a control on anyone, and his 
number one solution is to overreact and to stick his head out of a... Can you imagine how fast that train's going? He's sticking his head out like an idiot? I don't know. It's, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, he's not a dog. What did he think was going to happen to his hat? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it, it's not a good look. Uh, he doesn't look good without his hat anyway. It's a good hat. It's a really great hat. I mean, it also, I mean, I know that he's the fat controller in uh, the books and the uh, British uh, dub, but for the U.S., they don't really explain how he's Sir Topham Hat. So presumably before he was knighted, he was just Topham Hat. That's a pretty rough... I mean, talk about free will of the engines. If his mother named him that, he, he's got no choice but to wear a hat. Because if he doesn't wear a hat, what? how do you go through life with a name like that? No top hat. It, it's not like he ever had a choice at all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a total mess. And um, I mean, it really goes to show you this isn't... This isn't a children's show. This is like a uh, treatise on uh, free will out of something you'd read in Rousseau. It's it's very, you know, the nature of man is constantly in play here. It's very interesting. But it's progressive. You have a first gay engine. We have Henry. So that's certainly kind of nice. And free will comes uh, back into play once again for... The Big Day for Thomas, which is one of the weirdest episodes, really. It might be the weirdest of the seven, just from the perspective of how the hell did Thomas take off without his coach? It doesn't uh, It doesn't make any sense. Do you think that was Thomas's fault? Nothing is ever Thomas's fault. This is the fault of, like, the railroad and their staff and their scheduling Ever, nothing is ever going to be the engine's fault. They are completely faultless in all of this. I am here to defend them. Well, yeah, so it's basically shown that Thomas doesn't have... He, he lives kind of a boring life before this. He's... I mean, his job is to really fetch freight cars and uh, coaches for the other engines, not to go exploring on the main line. And yet, I, what, one thing that I found particularly interesting is um, this series does have a really good continuity on who can pull what. As I noted uh, the last episode, the five-coach train would have required Henry and Edward to pull it because nobody really outside of Gordon is ever shown to pull that. And then in James Learns a Lesson, he and Edward have to tag team a similarly. I think that's even a four a four train uh, a four coach train and these are the bigger the express coaches are either the the big ones that are either green or red this is a four coach uh train a big one that henry can't pull because he's sick probably because he was out well henry gets ill a lot uh he probably picked up an std at the club or something i don't, I don't really know i don't want to speculate but <laughs> probably an std uh, I don't think there's any instance in the rest of the series where a tank engine is expected to pull a train as big and heavy as that. Uh, putting aside the fact they're clearly able to uh, prepare the empty coaches, it, it's... I mean, Sir Top Hat is the fat controller, so maybe that's why. It's, it's kind of unclear how much these people add to the weight of who can pull what, but Thomas is expected to pull this train, something that tank engines never do on the main line. And nobody couples him. He takes off. 
Whose fault is that? His fault or the driver? This is everyone else's fault. Also, everyone just watching it happen. And it's it's brutally sad that Thomas is chugging down the main line like an emperor has no clothes type situation. Everyone's watching and they're waving and no one stops him. Well, it's it's funny how all these like like clearly some of the workers would probably know that that he wasn't supposed to be doing that. But other people are waving. Do they know, or, or are they just happy to see? I, I mean, I would be thrilled. As somebody, I used to, growing up, we lived. Uh, and my parent, uh, my grandparents lived about two minutes from the train station. I lived like ten minutes walking. So we used to go down there all the time, just to see the the trains going to New York City. And those those are not as cool as these steam engines. So if I saw Thomas and I was, you know, on the street, I would totally wave. I'd be thrilled to see him. I'm even thrilled when the the uh, when the metro goes by here. It's it's fun. Trains are fun. But Thomas really goes pretty far down the main line before he realizes the emperor has no clothes, and then he starts to cry, or he's ready to cry. He's very upset, which is. Um, Really tragic. He's a cute little, um, cute little tank engine, seemingly with with very few friends in the world. He gets his big opportunity. It's literally called a big day for Thomas. And Thomas botches it. The the pa- even the passengers who I would be pissed if um, my train was totally delayed because nobody coupled the engine. He comes back. They're ready to be. I don't know why they'd be mad at Thomas versus his driver, but they're gonna say it's a bad railway, and they see. It- they see how sad he is, and yet from the angle, if you're watching the episode, it's never clear how anyone can see how sad he is because he's not facing them. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, his face was the other direction. It's um, it it it's pretty it's pretty wild that all of this happens, and anyone would think to blame Thomas. This isn't Thomas's fault. How did his driver, how did he get that far? He's not looking backwards? Apparently. They always look backwards. He's in a cat. I don't know what else the driver's job is, but to basically make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. I don't know how he... There's so many unanswered questions in this episode. How could Thomas have pulled that heavy train? How did he not know that he wasn't pulling the train? I mean, that's the other thing. These trains are supposed to be heavy. This work... Gordon can't get the other train up the hill. He knows it's heavy. He's trying. Thomas is no stranger to pulling things. How the hell doesn't he know? Oh, this is easy. I mean, what does that really say about free will? That Thomas doesn't even know that he's not pulling anything. It's it's bizarre. It makes no sense. Wouldn't that mean he would have superpowers if he's so strong that he wouldn't be able to feel this heavy-ass four-coach train? I don't know. This episode, it's so hard to make any... It's so hard to tell... What uh, what's going on with this one? Because it's just so all over the place. It, it it doesn't make a ton of sense. If I were him, I would have gone into Henry's tunnel, which is another. Uh, I guess we didn't talk about how that tunnel's from forever known as Henry's tunnel. From then on, you got Henry's tunnel and Gordon's Hill, and Thomas's branch line. I mean, really, this is this is James comes across the real loser of this series and getting named after him, but. That poor guy. I would have gone into Henry's tunnel and just cried my eyes out. The poor guy. Little. Do you think he has like a Napoleon complex that he's small? <laughs> Probably. 
Oh yeah, the 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 bootlace man was on board on that train too, which was uh, he really. He, I can't wait to get to that one. He uh, that dude's a dick. But um, I I find it hard to believe that he would take sympathy on Thomas. Dude's a total asshole. But um, glad they they made. I, it's another. Uh, this is another. Of all the episodes, this one's probably one of the best showcases of how elaborate these sets are. It's really beautiful. The, um, the main line has so many really great shots that uh, it's fun to kick back. And that's actually probably what you should do. You shouldn't overthink this particular episode because you can run into a lot of traps. It doesn't make any sense. But um, next up, we have Trouble for Thomas. So as if a big day for Thomas didn't have trouble, uh, didn't have enough trouble, we experience what happens when Thomas trades jobs with Edward who apparently, despite the earlier dilemma, apparently doesn't have much of a an issue with um, having a consistent driver and fireman. Apparently now he's uh, back to consistent work. And uh, Thomas wants to see the world. I can't blame him. You think, would you like to be an engine on, on, on that railroad, Tara? Uh, probably not. Seems like they, they really don't have a lot of control and sightseeing opportunities. And he wants to see the world. He's bored. And Edward is the one tender engine who doesn't care about pulling freight. So obviously they get to... Uh, it's, uh, it's conducive to uh, switching up the jobs. And uh, Thomas, apparently... And this is another... This is another issue. I mean, maybe... And I hadn't really thought about this, but... Maybe the introductory episode really is meant to be Thomas's first foray into this world. Because up to this point, he doesn't have any experience with freight cars, which doesn't make a ton of sense unless he literally just started working. But it's, uh... He learns that these freight cars are, uh, really masochistic. Because they can't pull themselves, and yet they're constantly like trying to essentially off themselves. It's uh, very nihilistic. It makes you wonder what the hell life is so bad. The coaches aren't never behave this way. Why do the freight cars? Who's building them with these dirty, rotten souls in them? <laughs> I mean, w why is their life so bad that they have to constantly be this savage to the poor trains? It's not really like the trains have... That much more free will, they can't drive on their own either. I don't know. There, there's a lot of questions here that really aren't answered. Oh, yes. Thomas. Thomas's long tongue is... Uh, I would have loved to have been in the writer's room for these. Because they're, they're adapting pretty good source material. The Reverend Audrey is... Uh, and he's great at world building, too. Especially uh, later, they make much more of an effort to say, like... Here's Duck's branch line. Here's Edward's. I mean, Ed Edward's branch line isn't too much of a... It's only really the focus of a couple episodes in the middle seasons that are kind of heavy on Bill and Ben and Boko. But... Here Thomas learns, when you go up Gordon's Hill, you have to be careful for the engines being dicks. And he loses control, and the, the driver and the fireman are really bad also at uh, regaining control. Don't you think it would probably be wise to factor in how to deal with these uh, masochistic cars uh, as part of their training? I mean, the, guy, the guy's awful at uh, stopping the train, 
Trudeau, and, and Trudeau Matt actually doesn't even really seem to process what a uh, catastrophe that could have been because all he's really concerned about is that Thomas was coming into the station a little fast. That's really the only thing that he really notes is that Thomas is coming into, um, I think, uh, I think that's also Knapford Station, Edward Station. It's not really, uh, totally clear at that point, but this might be Marin Station. You know, the show doesn't really make a lot of, uh, these points totally clear. I know that, um... The sheds in particular are called uh, Tidmouth Sheds. Later, they factor into the songs. Closer to the end of the model train era into the CGI, they have the theme song with where Tidmouth Sheds are factored. But they're almost they're not actually mentioned by name here. And this is the station where James and a mess happened. Thomas was almost in a mess, and Strabham Hat. Unlike other episodes where he reacts extremely, uh, tries to encourage Thomas. And then also has a, a weird uh, observation that Thomas, in just a few weeks, could uh, have uh, learned as much as Edward, who is old as shit. So that also kind of reinforces the idea that Thomas really hasn't been um, there all that long. It doesn't make a ton of sense. And then also this episode features uh, the first uh, mention of he could really be he could be a really useful engine, reinforcing kind of a Marxist view of uh, productivity, where the uh, proletariat is exploited by the bourgeoisie. Is that is that what you think they were going for in this? Yeah, I think all of it is really treating them as they are just the workers here for their own job, which makes it even more difficult of a conflict because they're also part machines at the very least without any autonomy of their own. Nope. None whatsoever. It's a, it's a, it's a messed up situation. And at no point either do we see Sir Topham Hat really trying to give a talking to, to the freight cars, which might've gone a long way. He seems to only interact with the engines and we don't have episodes that are really from the freight car point of view or from, Annie and Clarabelle, or Henrietta, or Toad the Brake Van, or the Spiteful Brake Van. He's only interacting with the um, engines, who are kind of like sort of a middleman between really the underbelly, uh, the, the lowest ranking of the proletariat, would be the, f- the freight cars. So um, it does, it does exp- expose some holes in... Stratham Hat's leadership strategy that he's not even capable of uh, really addressing the root of the problem, which is his railway, con- which constantly has issues, is having to deal with um, these freight cars, which are resisting. They want to be. Uh, they want to be. Well, we 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 don't really actually learn what they want. They want something. Maybe they want to have fun. Maybe they just want to watch the world burn. It's possible. But. Um, well, actually, I mean, this is a good opportunity to uh, segue into our final uh, episode of this tape, which is Thomas Saves the Day, which um, where we learn that the freight cars actually do kind of understand that there are uh, consequences for their actions, 
putting aside the fact that they go back to their shenanigans basically immediately late uh, in the future episodes. But uh, for here, they start to... Um, we don't really know what these freight cars want, and yet they get something. They get James, who has wooden brakes as opposed to metal brakes, which... For an engine who's who's seemingly newer with his bright red paint, doesn't really make sense why he would have those those old brakes. And James is the only of uh, he's the only one of the the extended cast who's introduced in this tape who doesn't. I mean, he he doesn't really appear till the end. Nor does he. This is this episode is kind of meant to be treated as his introduction. Well, he gets James learns a lesson later on, but this episode is the first where it's like, okay, this red engine who we've seen in the background for the previous six episodes, now he has a name, which I guess is sort of meant to signify that this is his first appearance, but that's not really made clear. Nor is um. There's a sense of camaraderie that Thomas has for the fact that one of their own got pushed off. And yet, I think honestly of all the sort of main engines, Thomas and probably also Percy and Toby have the worst relationship with James. James is kind of, uh, he, he certainly has a Napoleon complex as it relates to Gordon. But they don't really have any any happy moments, but... James gets pushed off the line. There's a cow that's looking like it wants to mess him up. I have it in my notes as it's a busybody cow, just like saying like, oh, how's it going? What's the gossip? Not here to help you at all. Yeah, he gets um thrown off. Thomas has this fascination with the breakdown train, which you would think would factor into a hell of a lot more episodes than it actually does. We, we don't see the breakdown train all that often. And yet it's there, and it even, there's even, like, a special bell that says, engine off the line, despite, I mean, engines go off the line all the time, and this bell doesn't go off until then, and, uh, Thomas, Tom, I mean, Thomas really does help out, he knows what to do, he kind of goes immediately to action, it's red alert, if he was in Star Trek and they went to, uh, red alert, I mean, he would just be on those phasers, immediately and he goes there and he's he's really pissed off with with the way the cars treated his his seemingly his friend james they never um they never really mentioned this again though and it, it makes well a lot of thomas doesn't have as much beef with james as uh toby's really the one that has well James is kind of a dick to Toby, but Toby's also kind of an elder statesman, kind of like Edward, and just kind of spits it back at him with the bootlace. Uh, we'll talk about that later uh, in another episode. But um, James gets thrown off the field. Uh, he gets thrown onto a field. He's covered in dirt. No one was hurt, but um, it's amazing that these drivers and firemen are put at so much risk, and yet... Um, there, there never really seems to be a concerted effort moving forward to try and stop these cars from potentially... I mean, lives are at stake. And yet none of the engines are ever shown killed in action. Um, that would be brutal. But, I mean, 
there are broken cars in this episode, and they're not trying to be fixed. I mean, from what we've seen with Henry getting bricked into a tunnel, it doesn't seem like this is the kind of railway that would uh, resuscitate, perform CPR in a car. I mean, they're trying to kind of be dead when they're when they're dead. They're dead. Do you think those cars were dead? No. You think the broken ones were brought back to life? They're fixed. I, I think everyone is alive and just like. It's like they're just left as junk. Like, for some reason, this railroad who, according to Forbes list saying that um, Sir Topham Hatt is this tycoon, they must have a lot of money, but they're not spending it, like, on repairing engines for some reason. Like, do they just buy new engines whenever they want to? What kind of economy is this? Well, Are they doing that well? They do fix James's brakes, and a lot of the other engines get fixed later on. They get... Uh James did get uh, felt all over, which is um, probably would. I mean, they don't really know what they were checking him for, but uh, he doesn't seem to be that hurt. They get him back on the rail. Thomas spends the whole day cleaning up the mess, and the 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 cars leave this episode with a sense of, oh no, we 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 know what we did was wrong. But uh, that obviously doesn't stay, and. Um, I mean, in a lot of ways, this episode seemed to be kind of a means to an end to get Thomas his branch line with Annie and Clarabelle and to give him his his big moment because, as we know, the freight cars do continue their shenanigans. They're still doing their shenanigans in new episodes that we won't cover because they're CGI. But James, uh, this isn't this episode is not about James, who becomes the focus a little later, but it's um. It's an interesting situation. Thomas, uh, he takes charge of the cars, seemingly building on the previous episode where the cars manhandle him. No, now he's doing the back and forth, getting them out of the way. He abusively bumps a car at one point, one of them that's hanging on the crane. He hits it, uh, which does make you kind of wonder, did his driver uh, initiate that kind of hit? And Thomas like, yo, let's, let's fuck this guy up. Do you, think, uh, do you think that was maybe a little abusive? Yeah, like they're, they're, they're not ever really caring about like their actions could cause damage to these other cars and their other trains. Yeah, it's um, it's a mess and it's it's an interesting. Um, it's interesting to note how many episodes later on feature crashes that uh, we don't actually get any uh, in this episode until this point. Engines get messed up all the time in later episodes. But, uh... This was the first. James's first appearance, despite him being a background character, basically the rest of them. Which is not how engines are typically introduced later. I think, really, the only other sort of odd introduction would be, um... Donald and Douglas are in the Thomas Comes to Breakfast episode, despite... I, I, I'm pretty sure that episode takes place before their formal introduction. I'd have to double check that, but um, it's interesting, and it's interesting that James is a background character in his own introduction, but um, this episode is really about Thomas. It's about bookending the two ep- uh, the, the, the small collection, giving him his, his branch line. Annie and Clarabelle, the two coaches with faces, get introduced. It's, um, it's a good moment for him, and it, it I know that a lot of these episodes weren't really written to be 
sequentially. I mean, in the books they were, but given that a lot of these episodes are meant more for uh, use in Shining Time Station, although that show would have premiered uh, a couple years after. These were written, but this does tell a, a cohesive story. They introduce Thomas, he grows a bit, and then he gets a branch line at the end, and you're really excited to see what will happen with uh, Annie Clarabelle. So, uh, children's shows are not always noted for their continuity, but I think these episodes flow really well together. Yeah, I liked this tape because it really did have um, actual character development within its own series, and it felt like season one of Marvel, kind of, and all of their Netflix shows where we are going to meet these characters, we're going to learn more about them, we're not going to see, like, maybe the actions that they're most known for yet, but we're going to figure out their backgrounds first. And we do see Thomas grow, we see Edward and Gordon both growing, and we have the nice little conclusion that Thomas, after everything he's been through, he's finally a useful engine, and he gets his branch line. Yeah, it's very, it is It is definitely an origin story. And we'll return to a lot of these themes uh, with these engines later. Thomas obviously has a lot of uh, growing up to do still. Henry will struggle with his sexuality in a lot of other episodes. Gordon. The G- Gordon's always the funny one because he's, he's the strongest and uh, he's arrogant and all of that. Those remain kind of themes for him. It, it it's interesting. They really they do a good job building. I think really the the who do you think was the MVP and then the real loser of the seven? I think Henry. Um, let me make sure that I'm thinking of the right one. Oh wait, no, not Henry. Um, Edward. Edward's the one I like. Edward, I think, is the MVP. He really helps um, people. He's always the nice one. Um, doing the good work. And then the, what was the other question? Who do you think came out of this looking like a real stinker? Gordon. Interesting. Why do you think that? Uh, He is really the jerk in a lot of the episodes. Um, He's not pulling his weight. Um, He's just like making fun of everyone. Uh, He's not really being a good uh, team player. Interesting. Oh, those are good choices. So, for these seven, for this tape, my MVP would be Thomas. He gets a branch line. He learns a lot. He's uh, the focus without without t- hogging too much of the spotlight. These uh, This introduction does uh, fit Henry in. If it's Gordon in, James kind of gets screwed. My loser would be Sir Dobham Hatt. He, passengers are complaining it's a bad railway. They're kind of right. Uh, he doesn't seem to be a good manager. He overreacts. Uh, he loses his hat. Uh, the, he's kind of a dick. And um, he gets better moments in uh, tapes that we'll be covering very soon. Uh, Tenders and Turntables, other ones. But it's... He really, as far as far uh, as far as introductions go, he really makes a poor first impression. I don't. Uh, I don't think he's a very responsible uh, manager. He's not very good at his railway, but um, obviously he has room to grow. They all have room to grow. This is uh, only the beginning, and um, 
Very excited to uh, be covering Thomas. I love Thomas the Tank Engine so much. This will be a lot of fun to do. And I wanted to thank everybody for listening. Hopefully this has reignited your uh, passion for the chug life if you hadn't uh, visited Thomas in a while. But um, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 